This is the Hour of Power with Ben and Courtney. Hey guys, welcome back to episode 21 of the Power Pod. I am Courtney. And I'm Ben. We are your hosts and we are bringing you this episode. It is titled The Pyramid of Progression. Now, this is a really important episode for anybody who is in the middle of acquiring new skills, who's practicing new things, who wants to put themselves out there and be able to train and put themselves in a position where they're going to be in a competitive market or they actually are competitive athletes. And I'm bringing you this session because this is something I went through as an athlete and I was taught as a coach as well. So I coached swimming, competitive swimming for about 15 years. I actually raced swimming competitively for probably about seven years prior to that. And I raced at state and national level. And I really want to share with you some of the real key pointers and mindsets and practices that I learned as an athlete and carried on through coaching. And it has actually helped me all the way through my life because everything that we learn as teenagers and in that kind of preparation phase is actually really important for adulthood. So here we go. Here is the pyramid of progression, how you can go from average to above average or even above average to elite. Let's go. This is based on a novel that was published by Malcolm Gladwell. It's called Outliers, The Story of Success. It's a nonfiction book written by him. He's a Canadian author. I think he's actually a journalist as well. And he had published this back in 2008. And it was a big hit because he was going on the basis of this experiment and study that it takes about 10,000 hours of practice to become competitive in a very competitive environment. You're actually going to be able to succeed and do well in. It was actually based on a research paper 40 years ago. It was published in a paper. The American scientists, Herbert Simon and William Chase, drew one of the most famous conclusions in the study, and that was their basis for experts of chess, the game. So I'm just going to quote this part from their paper. There are no instant experts in chess, certainly no instant masters or grandmasters. There appears not to be on record any case, including Bobby Fischer, where a person has reached grandmaster level with less than about a decade's intense preoccupation with the game. We would estimate very roughly that a master has spent about 10,000 to 50,000 hours staring at the chess positions. So we're going to go through, it's this 10,000 hour rule. What does it mean? Does it actually apply to you and wherever you're at in your personal life or your motivations to do more and practice more, whatever given talents, skills or abilities that you're trying to craft and master? And I want to break down the 10,000 hour rule and probably share some anecdotes and stories from not just swimming, but Ben's done soccer. He played soccer at state level as well. And what it means to train and prepare yourself to be in the competitive levels state, national, or even global. So I'm going to just introduce you to the story that I wanted to share in this. That when I joined swimming, I was about 13 years of age and it was quite late to the game because everybody had started competitive training at probably eight to nine years of age. So that means that they were doing maybe three, one and a half hour sessions in the pool per week. And there were at least racing competitions probably twice or three times a season at eight, nine years of age. 
So when I came into swimming competitively, I already had a skill. I had a real good feel for the water. And what that means is I innately knew how to move through the water without hours and hours of training. It came down to flexibility, my buoyancy, I sat high in the water. It also came down to mindset and emotional preparation. And I'll go through that later as well. And I was training with this swimming club. It was a local swimming club. And the coach for the local swimming club, he didn't have many athletes that were competing at state or even like national level. And he really saw me as his potential hope for an athlete to go to national level at 13, 14 years of age. So he started trying to push me and train me harder when I probably wasn't emotionally ready for it at 13. However, he really had a vision for me to go to nationals by the time I was 14 after one year's of worth of training, which when I look back to it and according to this rule, it really was not going to be realistic. And we ended up having this blow up this argument one morning at training because I hadn't arrived on time. And it was a buildup of a lot of scenarios. I wasn't meeting his expectations as an athlete. At 13 years of age, he said this to me. He said, you will not make it to states or nationals without me. And that was the final line for me because I think after taking a lot of stuff and training from him, that probably wasn't encouraging or constructive for me as a young athlete. I went home and I told my mum, she said to me, look, that's going to be your last training session. This coach is not going to be able to take you all the way, Courtney. We need to change swimming clubs. And this goes down to a number of factors that we're going to break through this session as well about when is it time to move forward? When is it time to push yourself to the next level? I think both of our stories, Ben and I, in our separate sports, actually really depict the moments in which we probably didn't go outside of our comfort zones at the right time or quick enough that allowed us to move forward at the pace that we needed to to keep up with state or national level. So we're going to go back to the 10,000 hours. So it takes a grandmaster 10,000 hours to master chess. Now, this equates to about 2.6 years which also equates to 80 hours of training per week for 48 weeks per year. So anyone you see that's competing elite levels, they have done at least 2.6 years of this kind of training, right? And we're going to break down what that training looks like. It's not just moving around on the chessboard randomly. Ben's yeah, laughing. There's a, the quality of training is important as well. That could just be training and repeating the same movements, same mental patterns over and over again and getting nowhere. That's so it. what actually within that training draws the distinction to actually success and going beyond where you're currently at. So I'm going to throw that to you because swimming requires a lot of hours in the water to even be able to reach a qualifying time for state level or a qualifying time to reach national level competition. However, in a team sport, because Ben was in a junior league and then he got to the point where he was at the top of the junior league, And he wanted to change leagues because he knew the junior league he was in was not going to take him to the next level. So, Ben, you just want to quickly briefly tell us what was the moment in which you realized as a junior, I want to go to the next level and you were prepared to take it the next level? Well, it was actually a bit after the junior level because I, at an early age, was playing in a Christian league because they offered game times on Saturdays as an alternative to Sundays. So that worked with my parents and their availability and being able to, to still play and also maintain other things that they wanted to do. At an early age, 
those two different leagues were very comparable. Like I do recall going with dad and watching some of the Sunday league games and you know looking at the quality and, and, and yeah, and just watching the players and the coaching and the environment. So right there, your dad or you, who made the decision to go down and watch Sunday games? I mean, dad might have led the way because he would probably would have been wise enough and smart enough to foresee that we need to do that. But obviously I was uh, invested in soccer and was showing an interest and wanted to pursue that and made that clear with him. And at that time, there wasn't really, they were very comparable. It was ended up being a better option for me at that age to stay in the league I was in, which was good. It was still a big pool of people and plenty of competition at that level to grow and to, to uh, improve. I, I can recall even in my own mind that the way I would sort of work is you, know, you pick out those different players you know on different teams and there's that measuring and that hierarchy, that, that ladder that you have almost in yourself where you're like, oh, this guy's probably this good and I'm this good and you're trying to figure out where you sort of fit in the, uh, the pecking order and trying to... Pick off the next person. Yeah, not, I would say pick off the next person, but how do I improve and get to that level and how do I want to match that and how can I you know, pick up on those skills? And whether I thought that through that clearly, it's still happening in your imagination. So there was a shift from actually training to specifically target weaknesses and know my strengths and weaknesses and actually work on the areas that are fundamentally I needed to grow in. I think you've just outlined right there that it takes drive and passion and then an overarching vision for somebody to go from where they're at to the next level, whether or not you were aware and can put that into words. However, your dad was supporting that. And secondly, you were the driver, the passion, the vision creator for your soccer career. So it was you that was the one that was probably, you know, you didn't have a vision board. However, inside your mind, you had your own internal vision board. Yeah, you don't necessarily have the language to describe the mechanics of what's going on in your imagination. But obviously all things stem from that imagination. Life is actually lived from that place. And I think sometimes imagination is sort of is just childish and it's something you grow out of or no, can be. No, definitely not. I, I think some people can th- Yeah, I think some people can view it that way, you know, like that sort of fantasy, but it goes beyond just playing make-believe when you're children. Like, that's where I was talking about was going to go into earlier. When I first started playing, it was... I would just get. I would just dress up in my backyard. I'd put my socks on, and I'd, in my mind as a child, I'd be like, I'd be playing the whole World Cup in my backyard. You know, I'd be this team, and I'd be this player, and I'd be using the trampoline. And so I'd you're be, envisioning your yeah. And, and, but there was more just a place of play, and then it got to a point where actually playing competitively, and you're in a team, and you're again understanding all those different dynamics of the team, and where you want to fit in, what role, position you want to play, and that's when it started taking. Obviously, it takes another turn and then it gets more specific and then I'm actually... And also, you're, you're learning drills and it's beyond me just playing with the ball and figuring things out. You're actually getting coached on you know, what are specific drills that improve specific techniques, scoring, different drills around dribbling. So basically, let's break that down because as a coach for 15 years, I would already identify that this individual, looking at you as a young person, you have the internal drive and passion to inspire yourself and push yourself. And that is already a number one key that we are looking for when we're coaching athletes or anyone who wants to succeed. And what happens is sometimes parents or these outlying factors start to actually drill down on that imagination and that inspiration. Because had your mum and dad really encouraged you to keep playing and dressing up like Liverpool or whatever English team you were supporting at this time, they would have really inspired you and driven your inspiration. 
I think that your level of belief in yourself would have increased. And that is always the next bridging factor for an athlete or any person out there who wants to go to the next level. You need to back yourself because sometimes there are people out there who won't necessarily back you. They don't see what's inside of you. Only you know what's inside of you. Other people can buy into that vision. It's all about how you communicate that, how you live that out. However, we are the ones that need to drive ourselves and it's that strong character, that innate talent that's within the person combined with the character, the vision and the passion that causes people to stand out from the rest. And I want to actually say this because this was part of that Outliers, the Story of Success book. It says, no one succeeds at a high level without innate talent. So he writes, achievement is talent plus preparation. But the 10,000 hour research reminds us that the closer psychologists look at the careers of the gifted, the smaller the role innate talent plays and the bigger the role preparation actually plays. In cognitively demanding fields, there are no naturals. Nobody walks into an operating room straight out of a surgical rotation and does world-class neurosurgery. And this is where we want to turn it into not just 10,000 hours of practice, the 2.6 years, it's actually 10,000 hours of deliberate practice. So what that looks like in the pool, as an example, I would be coaching athletes, say one athlete wants to aim for a 400 freestyle. 400 freestyle is a mid, kind of mid-level distance actual event. And I'd be looking at them and I'd be looking at their body type. Is their body type long, lean? Do they have the endurance? And then I have big feet. Do they have big feet, big hands? That actually plays a big role. Are they buoyant in the water? Do they sit high in the water? So there's some factors that we can control, but an athlete can't control how they're structured, their bones are structured. makeup, yeah. That's already pre Well, to a degree. I mean, you can work on it and you can build upon the frame that you've already got. Yeah, but you can't change it. Yeah, the exact frame. You were already born with that. And so there's ways to work with that and ways Mm. that you guess you'd be working against it. However, if this athlete I was looking at was training for a 400 freestyle competitive event, I would be training them to be able to do, you know, four 100s or break it down 850s at certain pace. So they're having to do deliberate practice to emulate that race. And it's the same as soccer. You were doing deliberate practice and skills, routines. It wasn't just jogging up and down the soccer field, bouncing a ball on your feet. It was these deliberate skills and practices. The vision there the wasn't vision, clear. Yeah, the vision wasn't clear enough. There was, there's definitely like you know that you're into that, you want to play that, you want to compete at, the, at certain levels and that's all happening internally but there wasn't a clear, okay, this is how we're going to structure this. I've got to be hitting these at this time. I've got to be doing X amount of these to get to this stage. Looking back, I should have started that process earlier. So really like in your 14 to 16, you want to be really structuring things differently. You want to be pushing for the age group above where you're at. If you're 16, for example, you don't want to be pushing to 18s. If you're 18, you want to be pushing into like the reserves team. So you're playing with 20-year-old plus men. Again, raising that standard at an earlier age so you're really equipped to – because that's actually what's going to, I think, provide the difference when you get to those elite levels. You've got that quality. That, that was really the distinction is the quality. The drills don't change too much because a lot of those drills at that level sort of filter down – so people see that, they pick up on that, you know, it, it filters down to a state level and then also to a club level because people are observing these sorts of, you know, what are they doing at the elite level? You know, have you got your coaches in 
just state or your coach is at club level, that's what they're looking at. Okay, so you've identified right there, it is very dependent on the person who is training you, the coach. The coach is the one that sets the standard. And I want to interject there because when I was a swimming coach, I had Grant Hackett, um, athlete, Olympic champion. His coach, Dennis Cotterell, said to me when I was at a conference one time, Courtney, you set the bar for your athletes. It's not your athlete setting the bar and then you will try and do the training programs for them. And what I want to break that down is I always had programs that were tailored towards the top athletes. So I never tailored the program to the mid-level bottom athletes. I always tailored the training sets and training programs for my top athletes. And then every other athlete that was underneath, they were already going to be taken care of because the overarching program was for the top athletes and everybody will naturally rise to that level. Everybody will naturally rise to the level that's above them. And that goes back to the original story I told where I left the swimming club, the local swimming club I was a part of, the one the coach told me I wasn't going to make it. And I went to a state and national level swimming club here in Western Australia. They had multiple Olympic athletes, multiple national athletes, champion athletes. And what happened was within nine months, I was swimming state level compared to where I was before. It took me nine months. Whereas if I had stayed in that other swimming club, the local one, it might have taken me a year, year, year and a half. That's if I still felt passionate about swimming because now I was being inspired. I was being inspired because I could see the Olympic level athletes. I could see what it was taking to be Olympic level athlete. I could see them in the pool. I could see how they were diving off the blocks. I could see how they were training. They would do two hour sessions. I could see what they were doing in the gym. I could see how the coach and them were interacting. And instead of it being behind closed doors or somewhere far off, I could actually see and add to my own vision how I wanted that to play out for myself as an athlete moving forward. And I think you actually identified that before. You would watch on the Sunday games these level of athletes that were above your level and you were already adding to your own inspiration and your own mindset. That is what I want to do and that is how I want to move forward. So my next question would be, for anybody who was watching or listening, whether it's photography, videography, whether you're studying as a student at university, you always want your level of proficiency to increase. You always want to grow your talent, your skills, your abilities, because it allows you to become marketable. It allows you to be someone that people want to invest in. Or even if you're just somebody that's an athlete as well, it's inspiring that you're growing, that you're pushing yourself So I want to go back to the deliberate practice and the 10,000 hours. So those one percenters and those factors for going from average to above average to then elite, we're going to discuss in the next episode because there are two key factors that are really going to make you stand out, whether you're a photographer, business person, whether you're an athlete, whatever it is, and we're going to go into that in the next session. So stay tuned. 